everybody and welcome back to the Crushing It in Construction podcast. I am your host, Jordan Skinner, and I have another really great guest on the show for you today. Her name is Rebecca Pickering, and she is the CEO of the Civil Contractors Federation in South Australia. Now, Rebecca really is a very interesting woman. Not only has she worked hard and wound up as the CEO of an organization, she's run her own business, she's raising young kids, and somehow has found the time to become an ultra marathon runner. It makes my eyes water and legs hurt at the same time just thinking about it. But in today's episode, Rebecca and I just spent some time talking about the industry in general. We spoke about the issues that she sees businesses struggling with and how the uh, Civil Contractors Federation is helping their members to tackle those issues. And it was just a very fun conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy the episode and get something valuable out of it. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Hi, Rebecca. How's it going? Good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Thanks very much for coming on the show and giving us your time today. Thank you for having me. So if we could just start off, for everybody that doesn't know you, if you could just give us a 60 to 90 seconds run through of who you are and what it is you do. So my name's Rebecca Pickering. I am the current CEO for Civil Contractors Federation South Australia, and I'm also the Executive Director for Civil Apprenticeships and Careers. Uh, So my background is in mining and commercial construction, I think coming up to 24 next year. I've run my own businesses in the background at the same time, consulting for business, um, particularly trades and, and smaller businesses that are really good technically, but, but some struggle with the business and the cash flow and the finance element. So yeah, I've had a really remarkable career in an amazing industry. I wouldn't work anywhere else. And I'm really blessed to, to love what I do. So how did you actually get into construction in the first place? Yeah, so I'm not a uni kid. I um, grew up in the um, suburb down in uh, down south in Adelaide, Christie Downs, which isn't the best suburb in Adelaide, unfortunately. It's not a privileged suburb. It's not the most fantastic suburb you'd like to live in. And at the time, my main mot- motivation through high school was to get out of that suburb as quickly as I could. So, so for me, that meant that I started working through high school. Um, and I was lucky enough through year 12, coming out and doing a diploma with TAFE at the time in business. And with that diploma, I was lucky enough to get some contract work with Western Mining at the time on the Olympic Dam expansion project. Amazing opportunity being so young, working in a massive team. And I think my love of infrastructure really took on from there. So lucky for me, I did a few bits of contract work, um, you know, through that time of my life. But I never really left construction and uh, fell into built environs, which was a big commercial um, business at the time. And stayed with them for 11 years and then moved on from there. So how did you eventually transition into uh, the position that you're in now with uh, CCF? Yeah, so a lot of hard work, although I did lots of short courses and, and have always um, studied, so I've never really stopped learning. They all came together for me in my mid-30s, late 30s, doing my Master's in Business, so I did do my MBA, which I think just brought all of my experience and skills together. I uh, took on a general management and a director of operations role with Master Builders South Australia about five years ago now, which is, again, a great stepping stone into the current role that I have now as CEO. But I think the real growth came for me in running my own business and understanding, you know, it's no rest when you're doing it for yourself. And I think the level of respect that teaches you can't be learned in a book or working for someone else. It gives me a huge amount of appreciation for business and, and yeah, working anywhere. Yeah. So what are some of the, the main things that CCF helps its members do? Yeah, so there's a couple of arms of Civil Contracts Federation. So we have the lobbying and advocacy. So this is the side of the business that talks to business and industry and then talks to politicians, whether they be local members, federal, 
other stakeholders or agencies about things that impact or challenge a business or things that we need. So, for example, right now we're working on um, more apprentices in our market. So we've got a stronger workforce. We work on, obviously, the traditional things like red tape production, higher efficiencies, less challenges for small business, making sure that we have greater sovereignty for South Australia. So a lot more of our work stays here for our current businesses and industry. So that's one side, the lobbying advocacy. We have a, a civil training side as well. So we run a registered training organisation which trains our industry. And this does all of your things like plant operations, you know, if you do set fours in, in supervision and construction, um, everything you need in order to maintain your career in, in infrastructure and, and, and what we do. And then the third arm, the independent entity or the, I guess, the newest um, kid on the block is Civil Apprenticeships and Careers. And that's a group training organisation which employs only civil apprentices for our industry. So the civil apprenticeship side of things it was something that pricked my ears up when you were talking about that. I know from working within the industry myself that um, getting people interested in the industry as a whole is a massive issue. What are you seeing around that? Oh, 100%. I think particularly for civil construction, no one knows what civil construction is unless you work in it. So it's been a number one issue for me coming into this role. So I've only been in this role for the last year, but reworking our, our then strategy into something more modern and dynamic, it really was about educating the community, our kids, our youth on what civil construction is and the amazing careers that the industry has. So I think when I first started, there wasn't many high schools that, that knew who we were. Vet coordinators or career counsellors had no idea what the pathways into our industry were. So I think now we're just starting to see that turn. For the first time ever, we now have a, um, a stackable vet option for the 12 kids to, to get a taste of an apprenticeship in our industry. And if they do that program, then they get the segue into working with us or other GTOs in our trade. So I think we're getting there. We still have a lot of work to do. We're not as well-funded as mainstream trades. So um, you have doorways to construction in, in schools presently, which is your carpentry, your brickwork, all those traditional trades we've had in construction for a long time, but civil construction still sits on the outside of that. So we still have a lot of work to do, but nothing wrong with being a bit of an underdog and, and we'll get there. And I think for us in civil construction, because our apprenticeship has nine streams within it, um, it really does set us well apart from, from everyone else. So do you think there's a reason that the civil construction side of things just isn't represented? Why do you think, think that is? Just, yeah, I think we've been quite achievers for way too long. I, I think when you go out in the community and you say, well, it's civil construction, no one really knows what it is. And I think we've just sort of let that slide for too long. You know, nothing in this public realm that we live in every day happens without civil construction. Uh, and I think that's a byproduct of us not selling ourselves enough. It's a byproduct of us just getting on and getting the job done. And perhaps in the fact that it hasn't been, you know, perceived as being the glamorous and sexy industry, you know, as opposed to something like building or um, defence or IT or cyber, you know, it's a very traditional old school trade, but geez, it's lucrative and it can provide you a really secure future if you get into it. Yeah. So, so when you're working with these apprentices every day, and no doubt you're coming into contact with a lot of business owners as well, the things you're hearing from, I suppose, the business owner's point of view, when it comes to trying to find, you know, apprentices, I know everybody I speak to is struggling to find talent. 100%. I don't think it's just apprentices either. I think it's the entire workforce at the moment, whether you want skilled labour or, or um, entry level or, or apprentices. It, it's really quite difficult at the moment in this current economy to find um, not only people that want to work, but, but people that fit the industry as well. In our industry, you really do need to enjoy early starts. You need to enjoy, you know, getting out there and, and using your, your hands and feet. It, it's no good if you want a desk job. That, that's not what we're about. And you need to be able to um, travel around a little bit as well. You know, we work all over the state, so it really is quite important that you have those personal attributes. I think 
those sorts of things. Backed with you need your license, particularly if you're an apprentice, you need to pass a drug and alcohol test as well. You need to be medically fit to work in industry. The, the challenges and the barriers to entry are there and we can work through them. It's just trying to build up, I guess, that pipeline and that funnel of opportunity so we can select some good assets to, to work with us. So what do you think that companies themselves can be doing to try and fill that pipeline for themselves? Again, coming from a small business, I fully understand that you don't want to commit to an apprentice and our apprenticeship's a three-year apprenticeship. It makes it really hard for you to commit when you're a good business owner to you know, this young person for three years. So I think the best avenue for small business is to use group training organisations like us. So that means that if you're running, you know, Jordan's Earth Meeting, for example, you can come to us and say, hey, Beck, I've got a job for the next six weeks, got an opportunity, really want to invest back in my state and get a give a go. You can connect with us. We can give you an apprentice for that six weeks with no commitments, you know, no requirement for you to carry them for three years. And then you just hand them straight back. So I think the greatest opportunity where small business want to get involved and really promote or start some success in planning for their business as well, which is the other thing we find, um, there's no one to pass on the legacy to, get involved with the GTO and they can really help you and provide you some, some good opportunities and often explain to, to businesses and our apprentices, it's a little bit like dating. You, know, you can be the best apprentice, you can be the best host, but if you guys don't get on from a personality perspective, yeah, it's just not going to work. So we can chop and change apprentices and hosts to find that really good fit. And hopefully it's a, a relationship that we can set up for life. You know, where these kids come out of their trade and then they've got these really great employers that they can work for and, and maybe even, you know, take on that business or, or set up their own, which would be, yeah, absolutely incredible for our state. Yeah. And I suppose one thing that you said there that was interesting is the succession planning side of things. Yes. Do you help companies with that part as well at CCF? Yeah, 100%. I think that that's the heartbreaking thing for us is that our workforce is getting older. It's certainly ageing and we don't have a replenishment rate that makes for a sustainable industry right now. So that's a real issue for us. And we are seeing a lot of businesses that don't have sons and daughters that want to pick up the, the business, the family business. So if we can connect those, that wisdom and that, that expert with someone new and someone that loves this industry, then I think for us that that's the perfect ultimate thing that we're working towards. Because, yeah, it really does break your heart when you see these businesses that have operated for like 50, 60, you know, sometimes 70 years. And then, yeah, they just fall because they don't know what to pass it on to. And then these are great lucrative businesses too. Yeah. So do you think that comes down to maybe whether they're sons or daughters or, or whatever it is not wanting to take it on? Do you think the industry has a bit of an image problem? And like, well, actually, you touched on this before. It's not sexy yeah. enough, is it? Yeah, potentially. And I think, you know, it's a bit of that thing. If you're too close to it, you can't see it. Maybe a little taking it for granted perhaps as well, you know. The world isn't always greener on the other side. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather a job where I can strap on my steelies and go out and hang outside for a bit than be stuck, you know, doing some some accounting or, you know, stuff behind a desk all day in an office, not having that freedom to build. And I think the biggest thing for me is trying to generate that appreciation, whether you're in a family business and you're just not seeing it because maybe they're seeing it for perhaps negativity or, you know, working hard and, you know, it is a, it is a dirty job, but not having that appreciation. You know what? You're driving past these big, amazing bridges and roads and these huge infrastructure assets that, you know, your family has built or that you've been a mm. part of. I can't say that if you're an accountant or a lawyer. or Yeah, and I think our industry, you know, there's a lot of exactly what you just said. There's a lot of pride that goes into being able to drive mm-hmm. down the road and say, you know, I built this road or, or I built this tunnel or whatever it is. And it is a shame to see, you know, less people coming into the industry. But from my perspective, it comes, you know, down to, you know, businesses as individuals maybe need to do a little bit more to make their business sexier. You know, it's not up to 
you know, just CCF or just the government or yeah. just somebody else to make things look good. I guess we need to make it look more appealing from the outside. Yeah. Because without, think, without yeah, what I we do. Been, yeah, that's without, right. It's been a big issue trying to self-promote and we don't do it well as Australians anyway. We're a bit of a humble bunch that, you know, just get on with it and she'll be right, mate, and, you know, yeah. it'll work itself out. But, no, you really do have to be shameless in promoting your industry now. Otherwise, you just won't get where you need to be. You know, I, I go to schools and, and talk to a lot of kids and, and promote all the pathways that we have. And yet, you know, I'm standing up there with my little, you know, A4 bits of paper and my not so glossies. And yet I'm standing next to the defense guy that's got these whiz bang videos and, you know, all this. <laughs> I'm not competing with that. All I can promise you is maybe a six figure salary or, you know, your own business and be your own boss. Yeah, having said that, it, it, you know, I think once kids understand what our industry can provide them if they work hard. Yeah, it pretty much opens up for them. Yeah. And as somebody that's pretty technically savvy with computers and stuff like that, you know, I mean, this industry is, is a long way behind a lot of other industries when it comes to technology and, you know, in so, every... Like, not, no? You think so? Actually not, no, actually. When you look at um, what we do, like you look at what we, what we build, those bridges and, and mm-hmm. Darlington in particular and some regional jobs, those engineers and those workforces can deliver these mammoth, projects or assets within a millimeter perfect so bringing those bridge sections you know that's that's a heavy use of technology to make that happen from a surveying perspective on raw land model that how you actually precast yards it really is quite a technical high-end industry i just i think it has this perception because we are in the dirt and we do move earth that somehow that that doesn't require technology but it does you can get into mobile plant these days and it's fully kitted out. You push the button. It's almost to a point now where our kids, if the button didn't work or the system didn't tell them what grading and levels they're going to, they've, they've struggled to, to run it. It's um, yeah. yeah really impressive. Some of these machines they run, incredible. Yeah, yeah, and that was one of the reasons I always like the industry is the amount of engineering and, and all that sort of stuff yeah. that goes into the machines is, is fantastic. Blows your mind with the drone stuff as well that's coming out, like, you know, space and satellite. You've got mining using autonomous machines and, and dumping. There's just so much going on in the space. And I think when I talk to kids, it's always about promoting the opportunities there for as much as we'll tech up and we'll have all these great things that, that can assist us do what we do, we'll always still need arms and legs. So it's never going to be a position where we can get, you know, robots or clever machines to do what we do you're always still going to need someone to, to build the machine make sure the machine's doing the right thing spot it you know watch out for services there's so much still that needs to be done so you've got a real in civil and unfortunately for other trades you know you can't put your hand on heart and say it's as secure as lucrative as what we do because at the end of the day a lot of our work comes from um, state and local government and private as well we're never going to run out of money these assets roads bridges tunnels all need to be maintained same with social infrastructure like hospitals and schools and, and car parks, all these sorts of things need an industry to look after it and that's us. So, yeah, you're yeah. never going to run client or money to pay your bill with your family or, or set yourself up. Yeah. So when you're talking to, you know, contractors in your day-to-day, what are some of the biggest issues that they're raising to you and, and struggles that they're, they're facing? Yeah, I think that the old one that, you know, I've heard for, you know, two decades now is, again, lumpy procurement. So not enough consistency in work coming out to market. You know, you've got a lot of these businesses that gear up, get ready for project start. You know, you then have delays with project start. Then you've got then plant equipment. You've got your workforce sitting around waiting unnecessarily. You can't now go tender because our tendering cycle doesn't work that quickly either. So lumpy procurement is certainly a big one. 
unfair risk allocation is probably another one that we're starting to see. We've seen it for a long time, but we're starting to see much more of it. It was very um, litigious world that we live in. Where big principal contractors, you know, probably push down some risks to smaller contractors and supply chain that don't have the capacity to wear that risk, or they don't know understand what they're signing up to as well sometimes, which is a big cause for concern. Uh, you've got delays with project starts, which we spoke about. Um, it's not right now. I don't think we talked to any tradie that, you know, is sort of rolling in timber or Rio or concrete or PVC pipes. So not only can't you find it, but then when you can find it, it's, you know, double the price, yeah. and, you know, and it's not getting any cheaper. We've got a, a lot of compounding issues and then on top of that, trying to find resources to actually, you know, meet your needs. Yeah. So is there anything happening with the industry to try and help the procurement process? Yep. So we're doing a lot of work with um, state government, both locally at state level to try and smooth out that pipeline of work. Uh, trying to set up different relationships so that a smaller business has greater diversity with its client in that if state government is slow with release or you're not getting um, those projects that you need, that you've got other work to keep you going in the meantime. We certainly won't see the growth or investment in businesses if we can't work that out. Businesses will just hold over and keep to the size that they are. There's no point in them investing if they can't get that guarantee to support the growth that they they think they can capitalise on. We certainly need to work on that. So it's, it's relationships, it's continuing lobbying and advocacy and encouraging businesses to let people like myself know when there are issues. It's all well and good for me to bang on and talk generally, but when I actually have specific examples, that's where I really find I have traction and we can really make a difference. So it really is trying to activate that voice in areas that can actually make a difference. Yeah. And I think that you, when you and I spoke a few weeks ago, we were talking about this procurement process and how that you know, knocks onto cash flow and people making decisions that they probably otherwise wouldn't accepting jobs that really, you know, you've got a principal contractor or something saying, you know, do it for this price or I'll find somebody else to do it. And then they end up taking on that particular job at a price point that's silly because, you know, they're being stretched so far between jobs that they need, you know, something's better than nothing. Are you seeing anybody, you know, fighting against this? Yeah, we talk to contractors all the time. So that's part of our primary job is to be the intermediate between some of those relationships, so just connecting and, and, and I guess having that independent voice between two parties to try and work out a solution because no one in the entire chain of a project wants anyone to, to not be able to work or deliver. No one wants it to see anyone fail because that means the project will ultimately have its difficulties. So everyone wants to see things succeed. It's just working through some of those things and sometimes it's explaining um, to certain parties why things need to work a certain way or trying to work through alternative pathways to the same outcome and that could be things like working through different levels of progress claiming like breaking it down or trying to get um, claims in sooner and and do them in smaller chunks so that any disputes or variations can be hashed out earlier rather than doing trying to do it in bigger chunks there are so many different ways that we can work through it but if you're not talking about it and you sort of just make sure we're right it gets to a point where it's actually not you're really up against it your principal contractor your clients really annoyed at you and you know, sort of throwing their arms up in the air saying, like, what are you doing? It's, it's yeah, it gets really quite desperate. So the biggest piece of advice is, yeah, talk to people like myself, you know, engage with your client as early as you can and just keep those conversations, that communication open to work through things. And, you know, where you do find those frustrations or if you're not getting through, then you let myself know you've got small business commissioner as well. You've got a number of avenues from a state perspective to help small business work through these issues as well. Security payments legislation, all those sorts of things that, that are available to ensure that small business aren't taken for granted and that they're given that fair go. 
Definitely a tough industry. There's a lot to keep your finger on as far as, you know, trying to be, you know, ahead of everything as it changes, but it's definitely a rewarding industry. You definitely oh, got to... 100%. Yeah, 100%. So... I mean, scary, but it's bloody good. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it, it does a certain type of person, you know, if you don't want to be cooped up inside all day, tapping at a keyboard or whatever, it's a very good industry for those types of people, you know, because that's not for everybody. Correct. And those people that learn a bit differently, those people that actually want to be doing things with their hands, like if you're not, like I'm not an academic learner. I like to be out there doing things and and finding my own way through it. So I think if you're that way inclined, then yeah, geez. And and to be honest, I think it's a better career opportunity for you too, because you can still be a CEO for, you know, a big business. Your pathway is just going to be different. And I think if anything, for kids today, provides a much more resilient and thorough working dynamic as a person the fact that you can work human beings and, and that those relationships that you need whilst also understanding like street smarts and business smarts and all those sorts of things right now we're, we're trying to work through with kids at university that that can't hold a conversation you know pick up the phone and, and talk to someone because they're so i guess used to working behind a computer screen on computers and having this type of interaction it really is quite confronting when you're standing in front of someone having a difficult conversation about something so we certainly have a lot to work through. Yeah, well, and I hope it all works out because it's, you know, like we said before, without <laughs> this industry, yeah, yeah, well, that's it. Without this industry, it's we're, we're all, you know, not in a good spot. So No, you won't get to work and there's no water in the taps. There's uh, pretty much nothing if we're not working. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, well, it's been great. I just want to close out with a couple of questions. So the first one being, if you could go back to the start of your career, what one piece of advice would you give yourself? Maybe trust yourself a little bit more because I think when you're younger, you sort of go through that self-doubt of, oh, am I doing it right? And, and although I never said no to any job and no task was either too big or too small for me to do, I guess it would have been more enjoyable if I trusted myself younger. But I don't think that comes until you've got more experience under your belt. I think that's, that's earned with time. So I think if you could impress that onto a younger you, I think that would be absolutely marvellous. Might be a bit of possible. I'm not sure it would fall on a youthful mind as readily as it should. But I think if you could try and get yeah a younger version of yourself to trust itself better or more quickly, yeah, <laughs> it, you might get to your end product a little bit faster. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of those things, isn't it? It's chicken or the egg. Confidence doesn't always come easily when you're young. So it's that's um, right. Yeah. Um, where can everybody get in touch with you, learn more about the CCF and and just connect with you online? Yep. So they can contact yourself and, and you can hook them up with our contact details or you can hop onto our website, which is um, www.ccfsa, so that's the Civil Contractors Federation South Australia, uh, .com.au. Or you can also hop onto our other website for the apprenticeships. So if anyone's looking to get into the trade, uh, we're employing, we always are, we can never have enough apprentices. You can hop onto our website, which is www.cacl.com.au. Yeah, we can take the journey from there. All right, no worries. Thanks very much for your time today. Our pleasure. Thank you very much.